Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Last week we talked about seeing with the eyes of your heart. Inwardly, staying focused on Him, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Amen? And we kind of hovered around this idea, staying anchored in this idea, 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now, say now. now. We, have not, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So you have God's spirit in you, his essence, his life force, not just some facet of him or some mystical concept of him or like the idea of his spirit that you're somehow going to be in one day. No, now you have the spirit in you so that you would understand the things freely given to you by God. So right now, in this moment, in every day of your life, what God is doing by His Spirit is seeking to help you understand what's in you. And what's in you corresponds to what He's done for you. Are you with me? Talking about prayer. Because you're going to go pray this week. I hope you do. Or maybe you're like, you're in that phase of understanding this message and you've stopped praying for a while because you realize that all you're praying was begging and doubt and unbelief and fear-filled. Been through that phase yet? Where you're like, I don't know, what does prayer even look like now? It's just a transition. You kind of stop praying, and then you realize, I, I probably should be praying. Let me talk to God here. What does it look like? Talking about that whole environment. So talking about seeing with your heart when praying, centered around the question, how do I pray under the new covenant? All right, so this passage you know, we're not necessarily looking at the doctrinal points in this particular passage. This is more conceptual. So I want to read through this to kind of guide the direction that our minds are going to go in terms of prayer. Does that make sense? All right. So 1 Corinthians 15, 20, this is, this is Paul. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the idea of uh, not being afraid of, of death not worrying about people that have died in Christ and gone on before you. He's addressing this whole concept, and he says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive for the final judgment. In context is what he's talking about. So I'm going to pause for just on 22 for just a minute. Some of you may or may not have, have kind of been exposed to the idea that, that, you know, there's some people will read this and they say, so that means that everybody is alive now in Christ, whether they've expressed faith in it or not, and they always will be because Jesus was the one that created everything and everything is made of him. And when he's all redemption has happened, everything's going to be redeemed, even the fallen angels. You may or may not have heard this, but I just want to touch on it for just a minute. What this is actually saying here is that, so, so then a question comes out that says, so you're telling me that Adam's death is stronger than Christ's life, or Adam is stronger than Jesus. It's kind of an idea that gets thrown out there. And it's like, that's, a, that's not a genuine question because that's really not the context of what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is that the resurrection. 
at the end. Everybody will be made alive in him. And then you go before the judgment seat of Christ, believers do. The great white throne judgment, everyone. Believers, you go before the judgment seat of Christ and your works are judged. You are not judged or righteousness. You've already been given the righteousness of Christ because of your faith in him, but your works are judged. Not to see if you get in heaven or you go to hell, but to see what kind of rewards you get. And it says in that moment when your works are judged that you may suffer loss, but you yourself will be saved. So whatever that reward system in is, uh, the judgment seat of Christ is that moment. The great white throne judgment is everybody, and that's where the, you know, the sheep and goats are separated. That's where enter in your eternal reward or enter into the second death. And, and I'm, you know, that's, that's, that's a reality. And so that's what it's talking about. Everybody died in Adam. Everybody will be made alive in Christ. And I hope that you have Christ living within you. I hope that you have his spirit in that day. Amen? That's why we need to be telling people. Now, God's pretty good at it. I think God is more than fair because the question arises, well, what if, no, what if some, somebody over there that never hears a Bible? Well, trust me, God is not unjust. Amen? Don't sweat that question. God's big God. He's going to give everybody an opportunity. In fact, he's already revealed himself to everybody. Nobody's got an excuse. All right. That's like mini sermon packaged in there. I, didn't, I just kind of, it was in me, so I had to get it out. All right. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. then when he comes, uh, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What stands out to you in that? I know I gave a mini sermon in the middle of that, but think about that. What stands out to you? Yeah, right. That's, that's where we're going. Enemies, all right? So this is what stands out to me. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy of God. Because people will say, well, you know, God's going to work everything out for good. That cancer, that leukemia, that Parkinson's, that desperate situation on the entire continent of Africa where millions of people are dying and starving and don't have enough. You know, God's all that death. God is somehow working all that together for good in his sovereign plan. Bunch of baloney. You know, so what you're telling me is all of that stuff that God is somehow a part of letting happen that is his enemy, is his plan? I don't think so. Well, are you saying he's not in control? Yeah, I'm saying he's not in control. He's sovereign. He has all authority. But for now, he's given charge to this planet, over this planet to us. And look what we've done with it. And one day, he'll take it all back. And death will be put under his feet. Amen? God is not using death. The agents of death the pathway to death, any of that darkness associated with what we mysticize into somehow God's working everything together for good, death is his enemy. Lack, uh, starvation, hunger, all of that stuff is God's enemy. Now, parentheses here, 
you might experience persecution and suffer for standing up for the gospel. That's a different category, really, all right? If God calls you to an area where you go into that willingly and you're following him and you experience loss of life or hunger or whatever, like the, like the apostle original people are, even now, people are experiencing those situations, but they're following God into that for the glorification, for, to, for the proclamation of the gospel. To me, there's a, a huge chasm that creates a difference between what you might experience as you proceed to proclaim the gospel in experiencing persecution and suffering and the general death that's in the world. Are you with me? Like the general effects of sin that we blame on God. And people will say, well, I lost my job, you know, so I'm just suffering. I'm just, the persecution is happening. You probably didn't lose your job for persecution. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? Like all the stuff that we blame on God. Death is his enemy. So if death and anything associated with death is the enemy of God, we have to remember that as we're praying. We have to remember that when we're asking, God, why did this happen? God, why did you allow that to happen? God, what is, it, what is it that you're trying to say? What is it? And you're trying to discern the will of God through the circumstances and condition of the world. You have to remember this because you cannot discern the will of God through circumstance. The will of God has been revealed to you in your heart by his spirit. Amen. Well, I thought the will of God was when I saw a cardinal fly in from the west and it landed right here and looked at me, that meant that I was supposed to do this. Well, you know what? If that's how you talk to God, I'm not taking that away from you. But please learn to take the word of God, root it within your heart, let it arise up as confidence within you about what could happen, and then pray and look for opportunities in agreement with what he says is possible and what he says is possible is going to be directly related to what Jesus died for you to have. Amen? It transcends the junk in this world. It's walking on water type stuff. It's feeding thousands with two pieces of bread and five fish or the other way around. Are you with me? It's looking at a situation and the doctors are saying death and you're saying, uh-uh. Donald was in here, first service. We all, most of us know Donald and Cheryl. You know, cancer had its way and, and she's in heaven. God had nothing to do with it. I can confidently say that. Why? Because I never once saw Jesus give people cancer. I never once saw Jesus leave people in their sickness. Now, if Donald were here, he would, even say, he would say it even more bold than I am because there's a confidence of what God wants for you and who Jesus showed God to be, and then all the junk that's going on, and because it feels so real to us, and it gets all mixed up in our mind, and we just get confused. Death is the enemy of God. Is God going to use his enemies, like his enemy as a tool in his hand? You know what I mean? Like, is, like, like you know what I'm saying. It's like when Jesus talks about that he was accused of doing what he did through demons, and he said, "Look, you know, you can't. One kingdom can't cast out the cast itself out. It's that concept. He's not using what he calls an enemy to glorify himself. Now, in the midst of a dark situation, in the midst of death, can people turn their hearts toward him? Be led in such a way 
that it then turns to good for that person? Absolutely. But that's if that person loves him, follows him through that process, not created by him. It's just such a big topic and concept. So death is his enemy. That's what we're talking about. Talking about what does it look like for prayer. So I want to jump into the heart of David for a moment and look at prayer, look at how David prayed. We're going to look at this, past tense, some of the things that Jesus, I mean, David prayed under the old covenant. Look at what the manifestation and the fulfillment of those things under the new covenant. And hopefully you take away some things that will affect your prayer life today. So this is David. By the way, David prayed that God would give him a clean heart, didn't he? A heart that was after God's own heart. And I mean, even God said that about him. But, but David prayed for this clean heart, this pure heart. Guess what? You have it. Amen. If you said yes to Jesus, you have that pure and clean heart that David prayed for. David didn't have it. He couldn't have it because Jesus had not come and enforced the new covenant yet where you could get that new heart. That is one of the biggest promises and anchors of the new covenant is that God's no longer holding your sin against you and that you have a new heart. In other words, a new core, a new being, a new, a new type of creation. You really are a new creation. Amen? Now, I realize some of this stuff seems like well, we're just talking about basic salvation things. We're talking about this. I'm telling you, it, you can't go into areas without really having a good grasp of these concepts, understanding of what Jesus accomplished. And that is the springboard. I mean, it is the breeding ground for all the other stuff that we call deep and mystical and spiritual within Christianity. There's nothing deeper than you understanding God's love for you and understanding the work that he's done in you and then living from that work. It's just the core, and it's what we always want to talk about because everything else comes out of that. And I pray that you open your heart a little bit to the degree that you're going to let that shape and transform in you today. All right, so here's David, Old Covenant, talking about prayer. This is how he prayed. Then we're going to look at some things about the New Covenant and how we can pray. Praise the Lord, my soul. Say, my soul. Most of us pray and praise with our brain, not our soul. You can even pray with your spirit. You can praise with your spirit. So you can pray and praise with your spirit, with your heart, your soul, your brain. Most of us praise with our brain, meaning this. You're sitting here, you're in worship, or you're driving in your car, you got some worship music on, and inside you're afraid, you're confused, you're upset, you're focused on lack, and inwardly, you're feeling something, but then you say, but I'm going to praise him anyway. But he's good. I know this promise. I'm going to praise him anyway. Praise God for that. That's a start. But yet inwardly, it's still this kind of, uh, uh, I, I know, but I'm not going to let myself feel it. I'm going to fight and fight, but I'm just going to praise him anyway. And, and it like, it's like in your head alone. Praising him with your soul means that you actually feel inwardly as if what you're praising him for is true already. You're experiencing inwardly in your emotions and in your heart and in your mind and in your thoughts that what Jesus paid for is a reality for you now. Are you with me? That's what it means. What is your soul? It's the area where your emotions live, your will lives. If you're praising him with your soul, it's not in spite of my soul, it's with my soul. Transformation happens 
to a, on a huge degree, and you guys know this, we talk about this all the time, you, you know, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, and part of that mind renewal process is thinking on something, a truth, God's truth, to the degree that it feels true and real to you. And it feels true and real to you because it is an actual spiritual promise that can be a reality in your life. And it makes the difference. It makes the difference of whether or not you're going to live within it if you can first feel it as true for you inwardly. So, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name, praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Forget not all His benefits. This is David praying, right? Old covenant. What does it look like for you to not forget His benefits? First off, you might need to ask, what are His benefits? So I won't forget them. Do you know what His benefits are? He's about to tell you a few of them. What if you just woke up every morning? You know, we complicate Christianity. Like we go from week to week and we want to get, learn something new and we want to hear something different and we don't take time for, to really let things settle in. What if just every day for the next year you woke up and you thought of this, I will not forget his benefits today. And you woke up aware of his benefits, expecting those to be a reality in your life not trying to work your way into them, not trying to call them to you, not trying to get him to give them to you, but you just don't forget them. You just, in your mind, you're directing your mind to just not forget his benefits. I don't know, just a suggestion. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Old covenant, David praying, talking about healing. Interesting, right? who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is a big one. God satisfies your desires. Well, but no, I'm... I'm dirty and I'm wicked and there's no good thing within me and my heart is evil and I don't have any good desires and there's no good thing within me and God is using me in spite of all my wickedness and darkness and I'm evil. There's nothing good in me. That was true pre-Jesus, but now it ain't true anymore. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been redeemed. You have been made holy. You have been sealed with the spirit of the living God. You have him in you leading and guiding you into all truth. And you can yield to his spirit in you to the degree that the natural desires that you crave are what he would want you to crave. You believe that? Now, there's a major work sometimes that needs to happen before you actually become confident that what you're desiring is what he is wanting you to desire. That's between you and him, but it's possible. It can happen. I see it happen all the time. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. All right, talking about prayer. Now, what does this look like to personalize that? Because that's kind of one key point that you can do is when you're going through Scripture is personalizing Scripture because that's an identity exercise for you to renew your mind and who you are in Him. 
This is what Psalm 103 looks like personalized. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not, I will forget not all his benefits, who forgave, past tense, all my sins and healed all my diseases. He redeemed my life from the pit and crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, is that a legal prayer? Is it? Well, let me just give you some evidence of why it's legal. Because the cross makes all those future promises past tense for you. Let's look at how. Ready? Ephesians 4.32. Remember those things that, Paul, that David prayed? You see them fulfilled in, all over in the New Covenant. These are just a few. So be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ might forgive you one day. What does it say? Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. All right, this is why we're looking at this. We're looking at this because you're going to go and you're going to pray this week. And you're going to have situations that you're going to face. Maybe you have a loved one that's sick and you've never really fully prayed for that person. You don't know, you don't know how to pray. Maybe they're facing something that looks like it's way too much for that person to even survive. It's important to know that this stuff is past tense. Because what you have the opportunity to do is speak against the enemy of God, death. Amen. Death in the form of lack, death in the form of fear, death in the form of poverty, starvation, depression, and death itself in the form of disease. And to know, starting with, that you're forgiven. I mean, what would it mean for you? How would it change your life if you just lived every day believing that you were forgiven, that God in Christ had already forgiven you? Would that say, "Woo, time to party? Or would it mean, wow, okay. So you mean I'm in a relationship with God where I'm not trying to get him to forgive me. He's not holding my sin against me. Now I can just enjoy this relationship with God. That's grace, and that sets me free from the strength of sin. And in that environment, it's interesting, once you're free, you just don't even desire it anymore. You know, Christianity has been taught to such a degree that it's like you're always going to struggle because of the kind of being that you are, struggle with sin and struggle with all the, the stuff in the world. You know, I, don't see, I didn't see Jesus struggling. Jesus struggled with sin just a couple of times when he was in the desert being tempted by the enemy and in the garden. He struggled to the point of bleeding out of his pores. He struggled against temptation, and he overcame. Amen? All right, let's keep going here. So all those points that David prayed about, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What? I don't feel healed. I don't look healed. The doctor's not telling me that I'm healed. The doctor's saying this. In fact, I told the doctor I was healed and he laughed at me. You have been. Now, there's kind of a popular teaching even in the kind of grace camp going around that says that this is talking about spiritual healing. 
well, you know, I don't see Jesus walking around going, you have been spiritually healed. Now go tell the priests, you know. <laughs> what do you mean spiritually healed? They're talking about physical healing. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us. See, these are anchor points that you want to have in your mind about yourself and about other people and about the situations that you're praying for when you pray. You have been forgiven. You have been healed. You have been delivered. Are you with me? It's important that we pray from this perspective. People that you're praying for need to hear your mouth speaking, have been. Get confident in it because it's true. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred or translated us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Those people that you're praying for, they have redemption. They have been forgiven. Now you pray that they believe and receive themselves. Amen? So that's what Paul did. You look at the prayers of Paul, and Paul's kind of paradoxical because Paul would pray, and it looked like he was asking for things that had already been given to them, but he was asking really that their hearts would be open to it so that they would experience it. So this is our last passage here. How, you know, how, how, to, how to filter our mind as we're looking into our world to pray. Uh, so grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You know, there's a group, there's, I mean, the majority of Christianity, a very small segment says, you are totally depraved. Are you with me? You, you're dark, you're evil, your heart is wicked. Then there's another group that says, that's only partially true, that you have half, you have two natures. Part of your nature is dark, depraved, wicked, evil, sinful but your other half is righteous. And then I think the proper way to see it is that you are not that old man. You are not that dead man. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. This is, just, this is astounding to me. And we talk about this all the time. But so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Are you, are you seeing it? Because this is kind of like I'm just setting a bunch of things out there, wanting the Holy Spirit to put it together, where we realize, all right, yeah, because I have been a little bit confused on how to pray. I, I have been wondering about this situation in my life? And do I speak and declare or do I ask? Am I confident that it is finished? And I believe, I'm beginning to believe that it is finished, but what does that look like? How do I pray? I don't see it finished, so now, you know, my... So then, so then what you're doing is you're in this process of gathering evidence. And your brain is looking for evidence and your heart is looking for evidence. And ultimately, whatever your heart believes is what you're really going to believe. And your heart gains evidence from the Spirit of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, hope is expectation. 
expectation of good things. Hope is not a wish. Hope is you are actively expecting this to happen. You hope in heaven. You wish for a cheeseburger made the right way. You know what I mean? Like, wish has nothing to do with hope. Uh, hope is a confident expectation. Faith is the substance. It's the building blocks of what you're expecting. The evidence of things not seen. Your heart's looking for evidence. Your brain's looking for evidence. Whatever you gather your evidence from is what's going to feel true to you. This is what we're talking about is tuning the eyes of our heart so that, it isn't, so that it receives wisdom and revelation from God out of our knowledge of Christ so that this hope arises that we'll be a partaker of his divine nature. And I don't think that's a, like an improper way to put that together. You can hope that what God said you already have, expect to be in your life, but your heart has to be gathering evidence from him, not your eyes from this world. I mean, much of Christianity has been taught for you to know the Scripture, know the Bible, know the proper way to read it, know the proper way to understand it. What does this passage actually mean? And praise God for that. I, I like, I appreciate the academic approach to the text of the Bible, but there's deeper things going on, and that is the active relationship that we have with the Spirit of God, the author of that Scripture. Amen? Amen. And we want to live within it. He has given you everything you need for a godly life. Think about it. Where do you struggle? Now, that might be sin, or it might be feeling like that you're not doing enough in the body of Christ. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like I'm not doing enough? There's more for me to experience. If I really were doing within the body what I should be doing, that means I would be out ministering to people. I would be out witnessing to people. I would be giving more. I would be laying hands on the sick and they would be recovering. I would be traveling and I would be doing this. You ever have those feelings? It's like, you know, that one day I'd like to do this. Well, he has given you everything you need for a godly life. All of that stuff that you want to do in the name of Jesus for him or as an expression of ministry within your heart, he has given you everything you need for that. So ending on this idea here, when you pray, ask these questions. Did Jesus do anything about this? If it's a habit, if it's your job, if it's your marriage, if it's your kids, Whatever it is, if it's the way you see politics, if it's the condition of a nation, whatever it might be, did Jesus do anything about this? Is Jesus in me and am I in him? You ask that, you acknowledge that. I have the power. He has given me everything that pertains unto life and godliness. He has made me great and precious promises so that I would be a partaker of his divine nature. I am an ambassador for him, a new creation, to go into this earth and declare God is not holding your sin against you. Be reconciled to God. And he's put things within you. He's given you his spirit, not the spirit of the world, but his spirit so that you would understand the good things that he's put in you. So when you pray, you acknowledge those good things that are in you. You forget not his benefits and you understand what Jesus did. Forgiveness, redemption, deliverance, have been healed have been redeemed. Amen? You pray from that, even for others. 
That's the mindset you pray from. So it's like you're declaring what he's done, but you're asking him. It's like, it's like he's working in the world and in the hearts of the people, and it's in you too. And I don't really understand all of those details, but it's not asking him to show up and do something. It's declaring and speaking what he's done and asking that he do his part, and you know that he will. I think the reason so many prayers go unanswered is because we lack on our part, not his part. And I don't mean you're not doing enough, but it's that heart connection. That's really kind of a whole other topic. Maybe we'll go there next week. But did Jesus do anything about this? Is he in me and I am in him? And am I in him? And speak what he did and expect to see the desires of your heart match what he paid for. Match what he says is possible. Are you with me? So like when you pray and you see a promise that says by his stripes you have been healed and you're praying for somebody to be healed and you're thinking, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if they die? What color coffin should I order? You know, any of that kind of stuff. I, I mean, I'm not, tr I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to make a joke. I'm like, we, we get detailed in planning the effects of death. What if we got detailed in planning the effects of the Spirit of God in that person's life? If he said that we have, by his stripes, we have been healed, I, you know, I just, I'm like, again, I'm not trying to say I got it all worked out. You need to get there. It's like, man, let's do this. Speak what he did, and what he did includes salvation, redemption, healing, deliverance, restoration, provision. All the characters of who he is are wrapped up in this salvation that we have in him. Pray from that perspective. Speak it. Believe it. Amen? Hope for it. Don't wish for it, but hope for it. Believe that it's true. Be surprised that when you open your eyes and it's not manifest yet, and don't let that confuse you. I mean, I'm telling you, confusion is stronger than the enemy. You know how the enemy will come in and steal the word out of your heart and it won't bear fruit? Confusion will do the same. You will pray and you will think that you really fervently prayed and asked God, but it didn't happen. Well, why God? You might as well just be uprooting that word. Don't do that. Stay confident. I don't, I don't know why, but what I know is this. He has been healed. By his stripes, he has been healed. You have been delivered from the power of dark. I've got this kid in my family, you know, and he just keeps going back to the drugs and he keeps doing this and now he's in jail and he's probably going to face prison. We might assume. He has been delivered. Okay? So how do you pray from that perspective? You understand this, this process. Did he do anything about it? Am I in him? Is he in me? And I'm going to speak. And I'm going to speak it out to the point where I believe it. Like, it's in me. Like, like, it's Jesus going into his hometown and trying to pray for people, and they can't receive. You know? It's like, it's so confident within me. I'm praying for this, and you're about to get healed. You're about to see provision. You're about to get an idea of how God will lead you into the solution to be totally free from this thing that's been wrecking your life forever. He's just life. He's a life bringer. Death is his enemy in every form. Amen? Let's pray against death. It will be put under his feet, but we have the power over it in this moment in any form. 
Father, thank you. Thank you for a boldness to rise up within us, within this congregation, within your body, that we actually trust that what Jesus paid for can happen in this life. And not from just some mystical, charismatic, Pentecostal perspective, but from a gospel perspective that we actually live within the fruits of the resurrection of Jesus. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that resurrection life is giving life to our physical bodies and that kingdom is bearing fruit in this earth like we talked about last week. That the fruit of the gospel is bearing fruit in the whole world. And the gospel is, have been, has been, it's already done. May we see it in our lives, Lord. We trust you. Now just take just a minute and tell him this. God, I yield to you. You can say it quietly. I trust you. I want my desires to match your desires. I want to desire what you want me to desire. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm taking the responsibility to let it happen within me. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I will step into my place in the body of Christ. I will not hold your gift within me. I will not bury it in the sand like the talent, like the fearful, fearful servant. I will step into it. I trust you, Lord. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this heart journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.